acknowledge the traditional owners of the land on which this podcast is being recorded. I pay my respects to their elders, past and present, and the Aboriginal elders of other communities who may be here today. Hello everyone and welcome to the next episode of the Jazz Transcription Clinic. This time the clinic has moved to North America and we have a special uh, guest doctor, the one and only Roberto Occhipinti from Toronto, Canada. Welcome Roberto. Uh, Roberto is a good friend of mine and a colleague and uh, I played a few times with Roberto and I always loved uh, sharing the stage with him and especially the fact that his music knowledge is immense. I can only say that uh, he has played a lot of classical music. He's a classical music producer and a jazz musician, an improviser, a soul, electric bass player, um, a jazz producer. So he has very, very uh, wide and broad uh, skills into the music. And today, uh, uh, I forgot to say that uh, Roberto is also Sicilian, <laughs> which gives him like few extra points. <laughs> And I, I don't remember when I met you. I, I was trying to think. I met you. I met you at Atina Jazz. Atina Jazz. Okay, you were that's right. with Giorgio Ferrara, and I was there with Mario Romano, playing. We played, and I met you there, and we talked. Uh, I'm trying to think of why, because I invited you to come to Canada to, to yeah. Canada. Yeah. To and we did our we did that workshop in Banff. I think you're right. You invited me because I came to Canada with Giorgio, uh, but that time I, I don't think we played together. Uh, but then we played. Uh, you invited me to to do a workshop and a masterclass in at the Banff Center for Performing Arts on the yeah, Rocky Mountains. Yeah, it was interesting because uh, Banff was known for the jazz program that they had there. But uh, we did the residency, unbeknownst to us, that week. It was all devoted to Stockhausen. And I uh, that. so for the longest time, I played a lot of contemporary music. So I was familiar with all the techniques, but uh, it certainly wasn't what we uh, signed up to do in the first place. But it worked out well. We, we did some of your music there. We did some of my music, some of your music, and there were a bunch of very interesting characters, I remember, and we played their music too. Uh, I remember I played a wonderful arrangement of yours of Naima for like string quintet. It's yeah, for strings, strings and yeah. Yeah, yeah and, I and recorded saxophones. that on, on one of my albums. I ended up yeah. recording it. Uh, we played and your piece, April 1, April... Uh, was yeah, it, uh, April was it? Uh, 16, 18, 89. Yeah, but the extra there was the extra bar at the end of the phrases all the time yeah. that messed me up. You know? So if I if yeah, I yeah. transcribe more often, maybe I wouldn't get messed up on those kinds of things. That's right, and you can just hear how smart Roberto is in introducing the topic, of course, of the podcast, which is transcription, 
And without any further ado, I will shoot the first question, Roberto. Uh, if you transcribe, why do you transcribe? Um, well, I have to say this, that I do transcriptions, but mostly for financial gain. Oh, I, that, I usually, that's new to the podcast. Yeah, <laughs> uh, because most of the time when I'm in a situation where I ha it's, it's more a question, of, I'm incredibly lazy. Um, so when I, uh, if I have something to do, if I can find some other copy of it, if I can do anything to avoid transcribing, I will do that. Unfortunately, lots of times there's a lot of music that I'm dealing with. I actually have to transcribe it anyway. So, uh, I'm a reluctant transcriber, but it's a fantastic, obviously a fantastic, uh, exercise to engage in. So all our listeners that are still doubtful about transcribing now can do it if not for the art for the money <laughs> well there, there's that there, I, you know it's you laugh but there are people i've had friends who have made a living transcribing music for people no i'm laughing because i'm i'm on the same boat you know that uh, sometimes it's a great skill to have because i remember in the past for example i collaborated with a popular tv show and they had to produce a number of arrangements every week. And of course, you are told, you know, we want to do yeah. this arrangement and you don't have time to look for a chart or for a score. So all you have to do is to just transcribe it yourself. Yeah. And sometimes and you have to, you know, show very good transcribing skills because maybe you have to transcribe a rock piece and you have to understand well, you know, what the bass is doing, what the drums is doing, which has always been a very difficult thing to do for me to transcribe like a drums part. It's not easy. What's interesting, what's interesting about transcribing, uh, and this has happened to me a couple of times, um, because I'm playing with Cuban musicians, for instance, and I'll transcribe things because in jazz, we, we do everything in cut time. So you have something like metronome marking uh, eighth note equals 180, which is ridiculous. In music theory, if you have an eighth note at 180, you should be in, in two, four cut time. So, but psychologically, we see the eighth notes. So I would write out, I would transcribe something for, for my colleagues and the way I heard it and the difference between what I heard and what I put on the piece of paper was not the way that they looked at it, the same piece of paper. We were both hearing the music the same way. Uh, if we both played, we, if everybody played by ear, uh, we, it would be no problem. But the idea is that when you notate, depending on, on your discipline, on where you're coming from, how you notate something is, is uh, it also gives you an insight as to how the other person is, is hearing the same music that you are because of the way they've put it on paper. For instance, if you play Brazilian music, a jazz musician always writes it in 4-4 cut time. But Brazilians write everything in 2-4 with 16 notes. Okay. Yeah. And conceptually, you know, the idea of the forquete, uh, the, that's what they call it, the fork, right? Da-da-da-da-da-da-da. Makes perfect sense when it's in 2-4 because you get that sense of it. Yeah. In Cuban music, for instance, it's uh, with clave, they write it in 4-4. Four, four. They don't write it in, uh, we, oh, because it's a binary thing, so I'm, so I'm used to having a two-bar phrase. 
Mm-hmm. But a lot of the Cubans write it in 4-4 in 16th notes. So conceptually, to get your head around it, and I think that's, that's something about transcribing that uh, you end up learning. It's like, it's like learning another language. You see how someone else, the, the concept of what they're saying, and when it's put on paper, is, makes you think another way with, your, with your, your brain when you hear it. This is so interesting because you raised uh, a, a real issue here that sometimes you know there is there is a double filter because the first filter is how you listen to music, what you hear when you listen to music, and the second filter is your theory knowledge helping you to put it on a piece of paper. And if some of the listeners have already tried to transcribe a jazz solo, they will surely found themselves in a position where you need to understand whether those five notes are actually a quintuplet or if those five notes are going across the bar line yeah. or, you know, all, all those matters. And you raise the rhythmical point of view, how you write that specific rhythm. And we know that, for example, in jazz, we need to approximate a lot, yeah. a lot. Because yeah, because the idea of the eighth notes, so you're writing eighth notes, and it could be they could be a dotted uh, a, a dotted eighth with a sixteenth, but then it sounds like Dvorak humoresque, dun, da, da, yeah. da, 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 you know that. So the the idea of of, of how it goes, um, I don't speak German. I think you do, but in German they they make a distinction between music. Music is what you hear. Noten is what's on the page. It's it's like the, 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 there's. No confusion between the two. Sometimes we say he reads music. Now he reads notes. We play mm. music. Yes. You know. So when you play notes, you're, you're you're approximating because a lot of the nuance does not get onto uh, onto the page. I always when I, do, when I do transcribe, I at least try to get the right notes and the right rhythm. And uh, yeah. if we get into articulations, that's I mean I don't know how deep you get into your transcriptions. But articulations, dynamics, things like that, uh, that's all part of it too. Yes, absolutely. And to continue with your with what you just said, I used to say to my students all the time, we don't read music. Because when you say the word music, music implies sound. Exactly. And when you read, not necessarily you have sound. You can read in your head, for example. Uh, so I say, if we accept the statement, I read music, I want to accept the statement, I play the newspaper. Yes, yeah, right? You, exactly. It, it's you the same it. paradox. So oh, th- that's right. That's right. And uh, when you transcribe, what do you expect to bring home? What do you take home from a transcription apart from the fact that maybe, you know, it is necessary for your work or for your commission? Well, there, well, there, there's that. I mean, I, you know, I'll transcribe things that are, are, are of interest to me. Maybe not the whole thing. I'll, I'll, I hear things that say, oh, that's pretty cool there. And I, I'm, looking, I'm always looking for some good stuff to steal. You know, and we, it's, uh, we, we, we take things all the time. It's like a... Was it Clark Terry said, uh, "Imitate, assimilate, innovate." Those are the that's that's the uh, that's the, the credo. 
Yeah, the three, the, and I, I counted like an Italian too, didn't I? Yeah. Yeah, okay, good. With your first um, finger, right? Yeah, yeah, I went like that. I saw that movie. <laughs> so, so, <laughs> the, uh, the, the thing is that uh, I'll take figures that I like and, and either play them by ear, and, and that's transcribing too if you're playing it by ear, but I'll write them down because I have a memory like a sieve. <laughs> uh, so I, I, I will put down certain things. I remember doing, uh, you know, some commercial thing was a, it was a jazz blues and I had to play just a little bit of fills and solos. And and someone said to me, said, wow, that sounded fantastic. And I said, it should be. It's Ray Brown. You know, that's who I stole it from. <laughs> so um, so that's 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 the other part of it is that by transcribing, you have you put some you put a lot of that music in your pocket and you can. You can take it out every once in a while when you, if you need to spend that money. Yeah. And what is more, you learn the language. You learn to speak that language. Very much so. Right. Very much so. I was impressed, Roberto. Let me tell a very quick story um, that I always remember of you. I You really impressed me one day. We were in Rochester after we played yeah, yeah. the festival. With Jovino. Yeah, I think we were waiting for the shuttle to bring us to the airport or something like that. We were in front of the hotel. And a guy, a big, big black guy, uh, dressed like a rapper, was passing by. And he was wearing those big headphones. And all I could hear was... <laughs> this kind of, you know, sound that you hear coming from some headphones... And you stopped him and you said, oh, you are listening to, and you mentioned the artist. Oh, okay. And he said, oh, yeah, right. Do you know him? And you said, yeah. And you had a conversation on that. And I, I thought, and I still don't know after those years, I still don't know how you did it. You know that uh, there's a, there used to be a television show called I Can Name That, tune, that Song in One Note. Uh, name that tune. It was called Name That Tune. I don't know if they had yeah, that in, like in, in Italy or in Australia. So they would go, yeah, you go like 10, you start off with 10. I said, I can, I can name that song in eight seconds, and it's six. And then finally, so I, okay, you, you got to name that song. So I'll na name that song in one second. Now, how can you name a song in one second? Because the note, the timbre of the song, the timbre. So if if I say I can name that uh, that song in one, and it's James Brown, and he goes, "Huh?" I said, "Oh, that's James Brown. You win, right? Because your ears is uh, is uh, is attached not only to the tonal information and rhythmic information, but the timbral information. The timbre of what you hear is part of it too." And uh, that's, that's, that I was used to, I, I think wh whoever that guy was, um, I don't know what was he listening. It was some hip hop thing, right? It was, yeah. uh, it was because you were doing techno there. I don't listen to techno, but it was, it was some hip hop stuff. Um, so you are, you, you used to listen to music through someone else's headphones. <laughs> no, no, it's because, because, because you can hear kind of the groove and the, the, the timbre. And I, I, it's, I, I think it was, I think actually, what was it? Was uh, it might have been Biggie Small or something like that? This is what I wanted you to say. This is where I want you okay. to to go. Uh, when we listen to a piece of music, a piece of music has a color. 
that is yeah. given by a, a, a sum of factors. So the groove, the timbre, as you said, the pace and the yeah. combination of sounds and all together it, it becomes very distinctive and unique. So probably you knew the tune and your brain just click. You know? Yeah, well, that's right. It, it, it'll, it atta- it, it'll attach to the rhythm and it'll attach to the timbre of the thing. I don't, I, you know, I, I don't even remember. I don't remember that. I have a picture of us standing in front of the hotel, though. So that, that's something. But I mean... Shocked, uh, like... No, no, it was just uh, waiting for... I was actually... I, I, I was thinking, man, I gotta, I gotta do some running here. I was looking at this uh, panchoni that I've got. But... Uh, no, it's uh, but actually, you know, going to your transcriptions and stuff. Sometimes, because of the timbral information, it's difficult to hear some of the lines for that reason. Because you're hearing stuff and you're saying, "Wow, is it really? A, is it a B flat?" But the and then you, if you're analyzing the chords that the, the the piano player is playing, you know, and and maybe for that one note, the guy's you know played something really crazy. You know, there's a lot of stuff where you're you're hearing a. Um, Charlie Parker playing a major seventh on a blues, right? Then you're you're aware of it, and so then and then your your brain thinks that, but well, does he know what he's doing? As well, it's Charlie Parker. He knows what he's doing, or maybe he doesn't. But uh, he played he played the major seventh on a dominant seventh chord, and that itself is is an interesting thing that if you're trans transcribing something you, you that's the anomaly and you have to deal with the anomaly too but you're hearing what someone actually played against your expectation of what the what theoretically should be there yeah. and you get to learn something so that's why i always play major sevenths on blues now <laughs> <laughs> but not on purpose and get told off yeah uh i think you have already sort of answered uh, the next question, which is, uh, how do you choose the solos or the things you are going to transcribe? Do you want to add something else? Um, well, I'm a bass player, uh, and obviously, you know, when I started, I feel you copy and transpose the other bass players that that uh, you influence to. But if you want to be a soloist, the last person you want to transcribe is a bass player. Um, I'm living proof. It's it's terrible. So so, if you're going to trans transcribe, I think it's it's very wise to to transcribe somebody that you really, some other instrument that you really like, and uh, it can be daunting. But I you know I like uh, I I've, I've been transcribing a little bit of Dexter Gordon, and Dexter Gordon is very difficult to transcribe because he's so far back in the beat, his time feel is so laid back that. Putting that on paper somehow doesn't do justice to what he's actually playing. You know, you could put maybe arrows to say, play this so far back on the beat that you're actually in the next bar. Yeah. But that kind of thing that, you know, I'm a fool to want to, but what he does, he goes like my, uh, goes up there to, to uh, it's a minor six chords all the time. He's doing these arpeggios. Yeah. So it's interesting to hear that to, and to, you know, to write that stuff up. But like I said, I don't do a ton of transcriptions that way. I mean, I do like I'll pick up things that I like and and do the and grab it that way. Right. And what methodology you apply to transcribe? Do you do you use any software like to slow it down or? 
Um, you know what? I, I, um, I have started to do that a little bit. Before it was just play the thing over and over again. That's Dave Liebman's way of doing it is, is you play it over and over again. You, you, you uh, learn it by ear and then write it down at the end and then play what you wrote and see if it's the same as what you remember by yeah, ear. Even because, you know, when you want to learn a transcription, of course, you will play the same line on the CD player or, you know, on YouTube like 50 times. And by that time, you will have memorized the sound and you don't really need it to write it down. You write it down because you want to analyze it. Yeah. Uh, but there's no need, or you want to share it with someone else. But actually, for your own, you know, benefits, if you are not interested in the theory behind that line, it's not necessary. Yeah. Well, so so what I'll do is is when I when I'm transcribing something, first thing to, first things first is to to figure out the form. Yeah. Listen to it in terms of the form of of. Of of the of the of the song or the piece that you're doing, you find out where there's you know it's A A B A or whatever extra. There's a tag at at the end, something. Like that. So I lay out the grid that way, put in the the and mark out all the bars, and then when you start transcribing, if if all of a sudden you've got too many notes for the bar, then you did something wrong, or and then you have to go back to it and everything and, and work it that way that way, and then kind of after a while get rid of the, your mistakes on the stuff and to, to tidy it up as much as possible. Yeah. Uh, again, and then I, I mean, I'll write, I'll write out the chord symbols, of course, so that on top of what I've, you know, what I'm transcribing to know that, for instance, Charlie Parker's playing a major seventh on a dominant seventh chord. I know that the piano's playing the dominant seventh and I can sort of hear what the bass is, you know, the bass is playing there. So we know what the root motion is. And then you can see where the anomalies are and you say, really, it is a major seventh. You know, it's not just you messing up. It is a major seventh chord. A yeah. major seventh, he's playing on the dominant seventh. Yeah. I keep using that analogy because uh, it's a good one. I um, when I when I, you mentioned transcribing bass is, is a little bit of a drag. I remember years ago I had a, a large ensemble, uh, 13 pieces band, and I wanted to do some of the George Russell's music. Oh, okay, yeah. And you know, you you barely find anything. And I remember I started with that piece is, that opens his album Stratus Funk, and is okay, the yeah, yeah. track. Stratus yeah, 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 Stratus Funk. Oh, wow. Which is a blues. Yeah. But it took me ages to understand, you know, what was the real form. And then I said, okay, I need to transcribe the bass because the piece starts with a, you know, a bass line. Yeah, it's Richard Davis, I think, on that. Yeah, right? that, play, that starts with like a, a fermata on the first note, like... And then I counted and I saw that after 12 and a half bars... He starts, <laughs> he starts repeating the same notes. Twelve and a half bars. Twelve and a half. So that was, I think, designed in a way that uh, it, it goes upside down. Like it goes half, a, it, it shifts by half a bar, the bass. 
But I you, you didn't think it was just a pickup into into the downbeat of a twelve bar blues? No, because he he does exactly the same two notes at the start of the next chorus, ah. and and he repeats twelve and a half. Maybe he messed. Maybe he messed up. Maybe he messed up, but it works so well, and I couldn't recreate that sound with my band, uh, with telling the bass player play random you know, random walking bass. To recreate that sound, I had to transcribe and write down yeah. all the notes, all the sequence, and then I got that sound. Actually, I had a similar experience. Um, I started transcribing the Charlie Hayden bass line with trio record he did with Kenny Barron. And I gave up after one chorus because I know, I mean, I love Charlie Hayden, but I just, the, the, the lines were, and I guess that's the beauty of transcribing the stuff is like, you're hearing the stuff and I said, really, really? Yeah. Oh, oh, oh okay. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, he's very convincing. Uh, I'm still not convinced, but he's very convincing. Um, so, I mean, that's, that's, that's the thing too. But I mean, at a certain point, the, uh, you can only get so much on paper anyway. Uh, it's all that information won't 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 come across uh, well enough unless you've got people who know what that music is all about. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, there are that that's the part of uh, transcriptions that's that's a limitation. But we have to do it. We have to we do have it. To. So, uh, Roberto, how do you practice what you transcribe? How do I practice it? You simply play it, and then once you got it, you move. Like I say, most of the time, most of the time when I when I'm transcribing stuff, uh, I'm doing it for a specific work situation. So I'm transcribing stuff to bring to the gig, you know, or I'll say, uh, you know, or like I'll do some commercial thing or something like that, where I have to we have to do it, and I've written out everything, and the guys have to play it, so it makes things makes things easier. For instance, we just did this little movie uh, that you played on uh, yeah. and they asked me to transcribe music that's, you know, Vado Aspasso. I had to transcribe all that. That I mean, it was easy enough to do, but it was for a specific purpose. So most of the time when I transcribe, I do it for the specific purpose of getting paid. You know, <laughs> so, so it's that's a terrible thing to do. But like I told you, I'm incredibly lazy and uh, not very ambitious. So I uh, I sell out very quickly for something like that. I wouldn't I wouldn't say it's, it's it's a terrible thing to do. It's actually a great skill to have because you, it is. If you don't have it, you have to pay someone to do that job for you. So here's something. Um, you know, I've done a lot of stuff. With, you know, I, I was used to I used to play in the opera, playing the symphony, contemporary music. Um, played a bunch of jazz with a lot of uh, very well-known people. But one little side thing I did, I, I toured. There's a hip hop group uh, called the Gorillas, yeah, which is very famous. And I ended up subbing for the bass player who was arrested at the airport in Toronto, and. I ended up going on. I, I ended up going on tour with them. I did the North American tour, and I played in. I went to Africa and, and played in Europe with them. Where this ties in with transcriptions 
is that the keyboard player was really a saxophone player. And he used to play in a group called Jamiroquai. Oh. Yeah. And he graduated from the Guildhall School of Music as a saxophone player. And he did his, his thesis on the music of Joe Henderson. So he's obviously a well-schooled musician who's playing keyboards with gorillas. He's still with them. Mike Smith, his name is. Not Mike Smith, the alto player, but another guy. He's an alto player anyway. But what he did was, because they, he said, oh, yeah, can you, can you come down? And on an hour's notice, I went down to rehearse with them. In the meantime, he transcribed all the bass lines for all these tunes that, so I showed up. This guy's with his ears, has transcribed the bass lines, puts the music in front of me, and I start playing. They're blown away. They said, wow. It's amazing. You, you, you're playing all the same. Yeah. And I said, I'm thinking, I've played Stockhausen and all this stuff. The easiest gig in my whole life was this one that paid me the most money that did. And they were like, if I tell people that I played with, uh, you know, uh, recorded with Berio or something like that, I said, huh? But I said, yeah, I toured with gorillas like this. It's crazy. And it's like these little fragments that because only by the grace of God that the keyboard player could transcribe all those bass lines for me to play and I could sight read them on the spot. Yeah. So, so, I mean, that's, a, again, that's a, a skill set I'm sure he never thought he'd have to use on a, on a gig like that, but it came in pretty handy. Yeah, most of, I think most of the times we don't realize that how important it is to be able to get you know the notes out of it i i worked with with some people that were simply stuck by the fact that they didn't have a chart yeah this, you know that's the that's the flip side of it it's like the joke how do you get the uh, guitar player to turn down yeah. <laughs> take the chart yeah, away but, but then you think well I don't have a child, but I have a recording, so you can manage your way, you know, to get. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I say, yeah, yeah. Oh, I, I can't do it. I need a chart, and you think, well, if you need a chart, I start questioning, you know, your ability to listen to what we play when we play together. Right? Yeah. Well, uh, the uh... usually the two things are going together. You know, if you if you are not able to hear things that are on an audio track then the question is, what do you hear when you play? Well, that's, I mean, uh, that's the thing about, that's why when I see tablature on a guitar, to me, I, I'm thinking, well, that's, that's, I mean, music itself is in an, in, an inexact science, the yeah. written, written part. That's inexact. Tablature is like, it's like a, more like, I don't know, an instruction manual, how to turn the car on or something like that, doesn't tell you how to drive the car. It just tells you where you're supposed to put your fingers. Now, the flip side of it is whoever's doing tablature has, is listening and is just saying, oh, that's how we played it. So he is playing by ear. But I think there's, you know, there's kind of a, there's kind of a, a, a falseness to, to, to that kind of th uh, way of thinking about music. The, the thing about when you transcribe it and you're using your ear and hearing it is that it's, it's a, it's a twofold thing. You're understanding the music that you're hearing, but you have 
a ro- not just a roadmap, but an, an analysis that you can look at and say, this is this and this is this, and have a sense of what's going on there that maybe you don't hear at first, but then you say, oh, wow, right. You're looking at this thing here and you say, oh, oh okay, yeah, that makes sense now because, because you've taken the time to, to slow down. The other thing is music goes by pretty fast, and a lot of things go by in our lives. If we can slow things down, I mean, I think it might be a, a great analogy for, for living well, is maybe we should just transcribe our lives, <laughs> you know, transcribe what people are saying around us or transcribe what we, we Arguments see. Arguments with your wife. And <laughs> yeah, well, you know, that's, that, that happens once in a while. <laughs> But that one's that that one's a standard now, so it doesn't. <laughs> it's not a new tune, exactly. But um, also, you know, going back to what we uh, said a little bit before, that you apply your theory knowledge to what you hear. That to me is the right process to approach music, because too many times we approach music from the theory. So our first step is the theory, and then we go to make some music, but we don't understand the sound anymore. But if we start with the sound, and then we apply the theory to that sound, we have the whole package. I give you an example. There is a popular piece that is played by many students here. Um, in Australia, we have a system of exams, Uh, for like high school students, a sort of grades that you go on and you have some specific pieces that you can choose from, you know, your repertoire for, for the exam. And there is one piece which is a very, very nice piece composed by an Australian musician. And uh, First time I hear that piece, it's a sort of Latin uh, groove in C minor. And there is a specific part where the saxophone is C minor for the saxophone, so E flat minor uh, for, for the piano, for concert. And there is a specific part where the alto saxophone is playing like a D major arpeggio, you know, going to the five G dominant, going to C minor. And to me, you know, that was a sound itself. It's a perfect cadence with a two chord as a dominant. You know, secondary yeah, dominant yeah. to the dominant. Yeah, yeah. And then the student came in and tried to play it, and he said, "Oh, that G flat annoys me so much." I said, "What G flat?" And I look at the chart, and they wrote it, G flat D A. You know, in C minor, and it's that's wrong. I said, "That's wrong. That's not a G flat. That that is the sound of of an F sharp." And I'm sure because and he said, isn't it the same note? Yes, on the paper. But the sound, if you put it in the context of C minor, there's no way that's a G, a G flat. Unless yeah, exactly. it's like in the blue scale. You know, then I can consider. But in, in that case, is 3-1-5-1. That's an arpeggio of a secondary dominant. Yeah. You know, and you have to write it if you want to write it as an F sharp. Otherwise, my head goes nuts because yeah. you know it clashes. It, it's like no, that's not a G flat. You know, come on. Well, and it's you know, easier. It's easier. I say, think D D major. 
D major triad, you know, which you can play. If you think yeah. D major triad, that makes a lot more sense. Well, that uh, that there's a, this is there's a little bugaboo now for me is what with when you, people are doing copying charts or transcribing things where they play it on a keyboard into something like Sibelius or Finale. Yeah. Finale doesn't know it's an F sharp or a G flat or anything like that. I just did a recording with the, actually with a bunch of Cubans and the piece was in G minor. It was in G minor, but the first chord was a B minor major seven chord. Yeah. But the, my part was a B natural G flat, C flat. I would say it's a B, <laughs> you know. But again, that's laziness because that's not that's not taking the time of of uh, of saying or, it's 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 what the chord is or, or ignorance. What the notes are. Uh, no, and this one I, I know the guy. He's he's actually a very very good musician. But again, relying on the the keyboard because he's a keyboard player, he could just play it in, and he is playing it by ear. Um, so he type it and then presenting the chart to somebody after you transcribe. Yeah. But uh, if you're going to transcribe, at least transcribe uh, the right notes. This goes to the wonderful quote of the great uh, Bruno Tommaso. Have you ever met Bruno? No, but I know his work, of course. Yeah, he's one of the best composers and arrangers we have in Italy. And I used to study arranging and played in his big band when I was a student. And so he once told me, you know, you have to make the parts very, very clear and easy to play. So yeah. you have to put yourself in the mind of the player. And there is a, a saying in Italian, which you will understand, which goes, patti chiari amicizia lunga. And he used to say to me, remember, parti chiare amicizia lunga. Okay, which means perfect. clear paths, long friendship. Yeah, you know, uh, it, I just had it's it's funny that you say this because with this same with this same young uh, fellow that I just worked with, and we did a great recording with Pat La Barbara, Pat La Pascal La Barbera, um, very fine tenor tenor player, played Alvin Jones. He was on it too. I said to him, and they were scuffling because of the way it was written. I said, you know, when you have somebody of these, these and if the parts are not clear, it's not their fault. It's your fault. Yes. I said, when I prepare my charts, because I, I do a bunch of arranging stuff, I, and I'm never, I'm not always, well, mostly I'm never successful, but I try. Um, I assume that 15 minutes before the gig, the, the saxophone player got in a car accident and somebody in the audience had his saxophone. How would I make it so easy for that person to be able to sit in so that nobody would know there was a sub that night? I go through all the charts. I lay them out. Um, you know, as you see the phrases, I'll do four bars on a, on a staff if it's a four-bar phrase, five bars if it's an extra one. I work out all those things. I, put, I tell people, paper's cheap. Two pages. You don't have to try and do everything on one. You get two pages or three pages on a music stand. Rehearsal letters are cheap. You write in A, B, C. So that in the heat of battle, you, you know, the guy says, you know, you don't say the bridge. You say letter C. Bam. The guy will know. You know, we yeah. can. It's all it's all logistics about making things as easy as possible. 
but again, whoever. I think you are wise enough because you apply the theory after you got the sound. So you have a sound in mind and you know exactly what is the best way to comply with the theory in order that when I read it, I, I can play. You know, another thing that annoys me the most is, and this happens a lot to pianists, for example, they prepare a part on Sibelius and instead of transposing everything like uh, a tone up, for example, for tenor sax, uh, and leaving or, or with no key signature, they use the automatic transposition tool in Sibelius. And major. everything has two flat, two sharps. You know? right, so, so I have this part in E flat minor for me, and I have two sharps in the key signature. How bad is that? No, I, it's a, I, I can't play. I can't play. My mind goes crazy because I, what I can hear is E flat minor and then there's no trace of F sharp or C sharp in it. So that's exactly, exactly. That's but crazy. You know, I'm going to go back to your point about theory following practice. Theory has always followed practice. You know, because people didn't, didn't, they didn't work out. So, you know what, I think I'll work out this, this, this whole thing about voice leading, about parallel fifths, about, you know, hidden octaves, things yep. like that. They didn't work that out before they wrote the music. Exactly. They wrote the music and then someone said, you know what, let's try it without the parallel fifths here. Which is fine for like Bach and Brahms and, you know, but what are you going to, you're going to tell Duke Ellington no more parallel fifths? You know, come on, you know, so... The theory follows the, the practice. Yeah. The practice was we just we went with what, what sounded good. And and people are going, you know, they, they do when you get into that kind of thing. But is this not going off topic about your transcriptions? No, or is no, it no. Part it's, it's not it's not going because it, it's important that, you know, when we transcribe we also take few minutes to understand the theory behind it. That's part of the process and it's a big part of what you can gain from a transcription so do it i had a, Absolutely. A, a a friend of mine his wife was a concert pianist with perfect pitch she was amazing because she would listen to you know she i played her some keith jarrett and she's there and says oh that's interesting and you know she, she would be like a typewriter write it down and she could play it she could hear it but she didn't know what it was she, I mean, by ears, you, you couldn't say, well, you know, he's playing uh, You and the Night and the Music. Right. And it's like a, what the form, she wasn't, they weren't, lit, I mean, she had the ability to transcribe everything she heard, but she had no concept of what it meant and why it meant. And that's the other part of, I mean, if you're going to get into transcribing, that's, that's the major part of the, that's actually basically the whole point of transcribing is to figure out what someone else has done, why they did it, and why, why does that appeal to you? Why does yeah. that work? Yeah. Uh, do you have any strategy, Roberto, to incorporate what you transcribe into your playing? Um, in my playing, like I say, uh, I try not to, uh, I not, when I play bass, when I'm playing, you know, I try to sound like, you know, Ray Brown or Paul Chambers or Scott LaFerro, someone like, depending on the context, 
the bad news is that every time I try, I still end up sounding like me. And so after a while, I just accept that I have to sound like me. You know, I'm not I, sure it's that, a bad news. Well, you know, I, um, what they say, he was modest about his, uh, he was modest about his abilities and justifiably so. The, uh, so, so, but I will say that uh, I will try to, you know, from, from other instruments, other uh, solo instruments to, to try and sound like them. I like sound, like I say, like a baritone. So I like, uh, you know, hearing Harry Carney kind of things. I'm doing a bunch of Ellington stuff. But like I said, I really like Dexter Gordon's phrasing. Yeah. And I try to think that way, try to copy that phrasing, not specifically the notes, but there are things that he does, you know. Um, so I, I will do that. But what I will do more for transcribing is, uh, is in my arrangements and stuff. So, for instance, I did, a, I did an arrangement of Penelope. It's a Wayne Shorter tune. Yeah. And I, uh, I wrote it for my ensemble. I have a nine-piece ensemble. And he played such a sparse solo on the thing, a tenor. But I really liked it. So what I did was I transcribed his solo, harmonized his solo for the, the background, and then had another had the saxophone player play on top of these figures that Wayne Shorter played. So that was, you know, because I was taken with that one solo. So I thought, okay, I'm just going to transcribe it and then use that as material for, for some other, you know, some other musical stuff. You know, whether it's successful yeah. is another story. What, but once I, you transcribed I, it, it's in your pockets, so yeah. you can use it. So that's what I, you know, I did. And and then, again, for, for harmonizing and things like, you know, to just think about... It's interesting to transcribe stuff uh, like that and, again, to see this, the, that person's strategy as to how to solve this problem. Whether yeah. you end up using the same strategy or not, but it gives you a point of view that's a... Ah, I think I'm going to get through this thing this way. I'm going to, you know, we, we, you can see when you see all the transcriptions of Charlie Parker, you'll, you'll always see with the broken phrase and then he answers himself. Uh, that kind of thing. Now, whether you play every Charlie Parker, you know, play Charlie Parker solos note for note is one thing, but you, you will pick up a lot of his, uh, uh, his intention as to how, He approaches the, the, the court, you know, the courts, the court structures. Yeah, because what is clear even in, in this podcast, what is coming out is that there is so much more behind the note than what you see on the paper. What you see yeah. on the paper is just a duration and a pitch. Yeah. But then there is a lot of, you know, other stuff which gives the meaning to that note. And by transcribing, of course, the fact that you get the, the duration and the pitch is just your first step to start yeah. your work. On the it's, 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 it's the gateway drug. It's the <laughs> gateway drug into getting the notes in the pitch. I like it. I'm happy to get the notes in the pitch if I can. You know, I'm, I'm, uh, yeah. that's a, it's a really good start if you can get those two things. You know? yeah. and the, but uh, the, the interesting thing about... Um, this is a philosophical thing about play, playing music. When people say, you know, you read music and you said, uh, I, I don't play by ear. I said, I have to read music. Well, so no, everybody plays by ear. Because whether, whether you're, you know, you're not going to tell me that Yo-Yo Ma, when he's playing some Bach, a Bach cello suite, 
it sounds like he's improvising, but it's all written out. But he's not playing by he's not he is playing by ear because otherwise, how would he know he's playing the right notes? Yeah, he's how would you know it. that? And and well, but but how do you know that if you you stick your finger somewhere, unless you're a bass player, yeah, <laughs> to know that's a D? You have to you have to hear it to say it's a D. It's not just like a, you know, it's not just like a position, you know, on a on a piano like an automaton, a player piano or something like that. You actually have to hear your instrument. You have to hear whether you're in tune. You have to hear what kind of sound you're making. And again, it, it all comes back to hearing, you know, uh, even even if you're even if you're reading somebody else's music. Yeah. And in effect, whenever we're playing classical music, we're, we're playing somebody else's transcription because they're transcribing what's in their brain. That's true. That's true as well. And uh, we are to the last question. Roberto. You oh, happy. Uh, do you have a, which is the dumbest question of out of all the questions, do you have a favorite <laughs> transcriptions that you made that you are particularly attached to or um, that you remember? Um, you know what? One of the first ones I ever did, uh, and it's the one of the ones I always tell people to, you know, to, to I work with classical musicians that want to be involved with, as I call it, vernacular music, um, uh, whatever that might be. But I always tell them kind of blue uh, and to go with uh, so what? Just for the idea. I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a great one to, to start off transcribing with because it's all D minor there yeah. or D minor, whatever we want to call it. And it's the logic of it is so strong that you, you pick up on it quickly and it's, it's becomes a revelation for a lot of uh, pe people um, that have never done something like that before. And so I think, I guess that's the one I, uh, that sticks with me just because it's one of the first ones I ever did. And it was also uh, one that, that I, I used to, 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 to get people into it. And it's not as, daunting, not as daunting as you might think it is. No, no, we have it in the, at Monash University here in Melbourne. We have it in the first year program. All the students have to transcribe the Miles Davis solo and, yeah. play, from, and play from memory. That's like, yeah, how you, a good way to enter. Uh, I have another one that I used to recommend to my student as a, good starting point because it's not too difficult and it is the tenor solo on Count Basie's Planky. Oh, okay. Wow. It's just two choruses, but it's a great, great saxophone solo and you get, you know, what you need to play the blues. You get those little inflections, a couple of, you know, nice, nice cherry notes, uh, like alterations moving from the one chord to the four. And the attitude of playing on that track is so great that, and it's just two choruses, so it's doable. And the student think, okay, I I can do it. Because too many times the students are um, put down by the fact that it is a difficult job, it's a difficult task, you know, to transcribe a solo note by note. And sometimes to get two bars, you spend like four hours. 
Well, the thing is now with all the technology, you're asking earlier on. I mean, sometimes what I'll do is is uh, when I have to do a transcription, I put it into Logic. Yeah. Oh, and uh, put the audio in there, and then loop those two bars, loop those two bars, loop those two bars, and then go on to the next loop. The loop that loop yeah. the, and work my way through it that way. There, um, I haven't really gotten into the ones where you slow down the the pitch yet. I mean, I go you with. Can, you can do it with Logic. Yeah, I know. I, I just I never I never got around to it. Uh, there's a saxophone player in Canada. I told you about Remy Bolduc, and he has a fantastic he has a fantastic system for transcribing because he does his one of our next guests on the show. I, so you I think what he does, what he does, and he he has a video about how he does it. I think he does it in Pro Tools, and he he has uh, Sibelius uh, linked to it. So he has both both programs up at the same time. He can slow it down, and then he's putting it into Sibelius as it's going by in real time. But he's so good at it now that he's pretty fast at uh, just writing it out. Yeah. It's a skill set. It's a skill set that you know that I I wish I was better at. Um, But you said something before, Roberto, that when we play classical music, we are playing someone else's transcriptions, which is true. But I would say then when we play jazz, we play a transcription again because we are hearing something in our heads and then we are able to, you know, play it on the bass or on the saxophone and... That is also, you know, uh, a kind of very quick and fast transcription process. Yeah, no, uh, yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. I mean, there is, you know, obviously on on any instrument, if you have some sort of technical facility, you can you can just go through uh, muscle memory and just play your licks, whatever they are. Um, the challenge is to to not play your licks. The challenge is to do to hear in real time. What you're going to play, you know, what your what your your process is and react. It's not like you're having an out of body experience because your brain is super engaged. One would hope yeah. uh, is super engaged in the process, and that if you can get it in the zone where everything is happening so quickly at the same, but all of it's happening at the same time and in real time. Well, that, that's what we all aspire to as yeah. as, uh, as improvising musicians. Um, it is very difficult to always maintain that level, but we, we must always try to be at that point. Yeah. All right, Roberto, thanks so much for being part of my podcast and being the guest doctor of this show. Uh, well, is there a website that you would like to recommend to our listeners where they can listen to your music and eventually oh, okay. buy your music? Uh, well, you can actually, most of my, my stuff is, uh, is on uh, iTunes and Spotify. I have a I have a record label. My record label is Modica Music, okay. and uh, I have uh, a website Modica Modica Music dot uh, com. M O D S. My parents' hometown in Sicily is Modica, um, or Roberto Acapinti uh, I have to say it in English: Roberto Acapinti dot com. Uh, yeah. It's very very easy. You can do a Google. There's, I have a brother who's quite well known too. He's a guitar player and a cousin. Very fine uh, guitar players, both my cousin and my my brother. 
I will definitely put all those informations in the description. Thank and, you so much. And uh, please follow Roberto also on the socials. He's quite active. And uh, if you can, you know, support his work by buying his music, he's always first quality. Every time Roberto is sending me something, I know that it's something of the highest quality. Um, uh, what else? I, what I just, else? I'm waiting, I'm waiting to come to Australia to come and play with you again. Uh, now probably is not the best moment. No, no, I know, to, I know. To do that, but well, we need to you fix. Tell your are you going to tell your listeners uh, about our mix-up about the time zone? Because <laughs> I, I said oh, I talked to Sunday night, which is t tomorrow in Canada. Yeah, because when I when I call Europe, it's usually the same day. So at my place, it's like afternoon or late afternoon. And for example, in Italy, is is morning or lunchtime. So I gave for granted that it was the same thing. But you actually have to add some other like six seven hours. To that, and I was like, "Oh my god, <laughs> I okay. messed well, it up." No, yeah. that's that's fine. I was watching TV tonight. It's COVID. I'm staying home, but yeah. uh, doing my thing. But Mirko, if we don't meet in Canada and we don't meet in Australia, in Italia. Yes, and we have uh, one cannoli in Modica. Solo uno. <laughs> one every <laughs> every ten minutes. <laughs> okay, brother. Thank you thank, so much for thanks having Thanks so much. Thanks so much. And thanks to all our listeners. Stay tuned for our next shows and uh, go on uh, the, the website of the podcast. You can watch uh, the recording of the podcast on YouTube as well. Every uh, month there will be a new episode. And uh, leave a comment. If you want to leave a feedback and or if you want to uh, leave a feedback on how to improve this podcast will be highly appreciated. Thanks so much to Roberto. Thanks to all of you and listen and hear you next time. Bye.